effective, powerful prayer. Effective, powerful prayer. Over the course of the last week and a half, the Lord's been talking to me and speaking to me regarding some of these things. And uh, prayer was never meant to be an obligation. It was never meant to be a duty. It was never meant to be tiresome. It's meant to be refreshing because it's actually spending time with the creator of the universe. Amen. I thought about uh, something that popped in my mind last night as I was thinking about this, how that uh, Jesus' disciples, oftentimes if they had questions or if they needed comfort, consolation, they would go to Jesus because He had all the answers. And He still does. Amen. Amen. And, uh, and they, they made a statement one time that's recorded in the Gospels. They said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught His disciples. Teach us to pray. You know, I thought there's a thousand and one things they could have asked Him. They said, teach us to prophesy. Amen. Teach us to do miracles. Teach us, Lord, to cast out devils. But their, their request was a good request. Lord, teach us to pray. Because when you know how to pray, the miracles, the provision, and everything else comes along with it. Amen? Hallelujah. And uh, so we want to talk about some things in the next several weeks here about uh, how that God wants us to have a powerful prayer life and we're going to talk about how that there are different types of prayer. We're not going to go into detail, but oh, there's different types of prayer. And it's much like a, um, uh, I thought about my father, my earthly father. You know, he, he, was, he had more tools than you could shake a stick at. I'm telling you, that man, my dad, he had tools because he inherited my grandfather's tools, you know, when he passed away, you know. And, but he had a bunch of tools himself. And I mean... I mean, stacks and stacks and stacks. of, And it was all in order, you know. Everything had a place, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, um, and I thought, you know, every tool has a purpose, okay? A hammer has a purpose. A screwdriver has a purpose, you know. A monkey wrench has a purpose. And there's, of course, a, a lot of other different types of tools. I can't even pronounce them, you know. But they all had a purpose, Amen. And it's like in God's toolbox of prayer, there's a different purpose. You know, for example, uh, real quickly, you know, there's the prayer of consecration and dedication. Where Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, He said, Lord, not my will, but Thy will be done. Amen? In other words, I'm, I'm consecrated, Lord, to do Your will and Your purpose. And He says, whatever Your will is, if it be Your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That was a prayer of consecration and dedication. But you know, you can't, for example, you can't put that phrase on, if you're praying for healing, Lord, if it be thy will, heal me. That's called the prayer of unbelief. Amen. But see, in the prayer of consecration and dedication, and, and all, we should always say, Lord, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. Anything you want me to do today or say today or any type of action you want me to take, I'm willing to do that. And that's, that's being consecrated to Him. Amen? There's also the prayer of, you know, casting your cares upon the Lord. Right? In First Peter, right? Casting all of your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. There's also the prayer of agreement, Matthew 18, 19. Right? There's the prayer of faith in James chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. So there's different types of prayer. 
I thought about how that if, if, if you want to be good at anything in life, that's just my introduction here, if we want to be good at anything in life, there was things that I got involved with as a sports, for example, when I was growing up, you know, when I was younger. Uh, to be good at something, you have to practice, right? And I would spend, if I liked something, I spent hours, and it wasn't enough. It was like I would do it, and then I'd want to do it more, I'd want to do it more, and I became proficient at what I did at that time, Okay. So if you want to be good at something, and people would say, how did you, how do you do that? Because I, I used to play ice hockey, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and uh, you know, and people would say, how did you develop a shot like that, for example? I said, well, I, I spend hours out on my deck shooting on my back porch, you know what I mean? And doing things, you know? I remember one time my father gave me a, uh, a metal puck, Okay. And he got it somehow, it was metal, and it was like, you know, it was really heavy. It was lead, actually, you know. And, of course, with a puck like that, you don't slap it. You'll break your stick, you know. So I would use it to just go back and forth or do a wrist shot, you know what I'm saying, and it would build your wrist up, you know what I'm saying. And so I would work at that and work at that. So when you got the real hockey puck out there, it felt like a feather, you know what I'm saying. So anything that you wanted to be good at, you have to work at it. Now, we're going to apply this to our spiritual lives. If we want to be good at something, we have to work it. Praise God. And prayer is one of those things. Praise the Lord. John 15 and verse 7 says this. So we'll talk about developing our prayer skills. Jesus said this, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Isn't that wonderful? Herein, verse 8, is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. We'll stop right there. Now, when it comes to getting your prayers answered, the number one book on prayer is not something you'll find in a library by some author. The number one book that you'll find on prayer is this black book right here called Holy Bible. This, this book teaches us how to pray, how to do things, how to pray, how to pray effectively. And that's what we're going to be looking at, these scriptures here. Now, in John chapter 15, Jesus, you know, he talks about the vine and the branch and all that. You know, that the, the, that the, the branch cannot produce fruit of itself, in and of itself. It has to abide in the vine or the trunk. Because the nutrition and the, the, everything that sustains that branch comes from the main trunk, the vine, right? Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. And if you abide in me, you'll produce fruit, okay? So when we're praying, we're, we're, we're connecting to the true source, to the vine. Amen. And uh, so there's two things I want to look at right here and opening up this subject here this morning. Number one, Jesus said, if you abide in me. Say abide in me. Abide in me. Okay. Now what does that mean? That means to be born again. So when you get born again, you are engrafted into him. You are abiding in him. Now the second thing he says, if you abide in me, number two, if my words abide in you, he said, then you can ask what you will, and it shall be granted unto you. Okay? 
So in other words, to be, abide in Him, you have to be born again. Number two, that your, His words have to abide in us equals answered prayer. Now, I know that you've probably heard this phrase before. I'm not sure who coined this phrase, but it's absolutely the truth. Faith begins where the will of God is known. If you don't know what God's will is, there can't be any faith. Okay? So when you go to God's Word on any given subject, you know, that shows us what His will is to give us the confidence and give us the faith that we can actually go ahead and ask for that. Amen? See, the reason that we even had confidence enough to even get saved and come to the Lord is because somebody shared some Scripture with us. Maybe it was one Scripture. I mean, you can get saved on one Scripture. Think about that. For God so loved the world. <laughs> right? John 3.16. And, uh, but you had to have information and knowledge of the fact that that's God's will. God's will is to save you no matter how wretched you've been. Right? It's His will to save every single person. So once you know that, then you have the faith to say, okay, I'm going to accept that. I'm going to receive that. Well, the same is true across the whole gamut of Christianity as far as like healing, provision, all the promises of God. The Bible says are yes and in Him, amen, right? So we have to be rooted in the Word of God, which is the will of God, to know what His will is for us, okay? And so... If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Hallelujah. I like to consider myself a word person. Amen. I didn't say crossword. <laughs> but a word of God. Word of God. Oh, I love the word of God. I can't get enough of it. I just want more and more and more of the word of God. Because the more I get filled up with God's word, the more I know his will in any given situation. Amen? I am not afraid of sickness and disease. I'm not. Has it attacked you in the past? Yeah. Okay. We're not exempt from temptation. We're not exempt from symptoms. But you know what? I've got the final say so because I know what God's will. I know it's God's will to heal this body as much as I know it's God's will to save my soul. Oh, Yes. But there's a lot of believers in the world today that don't know it's God's will to touch their physical body. My God, if He loved us enough to pay the price for our spirits and went to hell for you and for me, why would He leave the body out then? Right? But, but I mean, there's a lot of people. Uh, it's, it's sad. But there's a lot of unbelieving believers that don't know it's God's will to heal their bodies. They know God can, but that's not enough. God might, but that's not enough. We have to have absolute assurity from God's Word that it's His will for the physical body to receive healing. As a matter of fact, you want to hear something good? Okay. Jesus paid the price for your physical well-being before He paid the price for your sins. What do you mean by that? He went, before he went to the cross, that's where he paid for our sins, right? What happened before that? He was whipped, right? We're not talking a wet towel bathroom situation, right? We're talking a, you know, a cat of nine tails with sharp objects attached to it, you know, that ripped off the flesh. 
when he went to that Roman whipping post, it says that those stripes were laid upon his back. Isaiah prophesied it, you know. And Matthew even said, Matthew 8, 17, that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses, right? Hallelujah. Well, you know, healing doesn't seem all that well. Jesus spent three-fourths, three-fourths of his ministry healing the sick. That's pretty important, isn't it? It wasn't a minor subject with him. So the redemption of your body is just as important as the redemption of your soul. Amen? But, you know, if you don't know that from the Word of God, if we're not taught that correctly... Then we can kind of go through life with fear will attack us. See, see, if I know what God's will is for me, it takes fear away. It's like, hey, he's got that covered. Just like Glenn was sharing this morning. He's got us covered. Amen? Hallelujah. And so he, he paid the price, you know, but we know that only from the Word of God. Amen. Praise God. Say, healing is important. Healing is important. It's really important. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Pastor, when I get past a certain age... Things start to fall apart. Who told you that? Body parts stop working. Who told you that? Right? Well, some preacher said that. Well, you shouldn't listen to him then. Some demon behind a pulpit said that. Amen? And I've heard some of those through the years. And it destroys people's faith. They know that God can heal, but it may not be their will for them to be healed. But when you know what God's Word says, it just stirs up my spirit to know it's absolutely God's will to heal the broken body as much as it is to heal the broken soul. Amen? So, faith begins where the will of God is known. So, who wrote the Gospel of John? John did. Who wrote 1 John? John, okay. So let's go to 1 John real quick here. 1 John chapter 5. So John wrote a gospel of John, but he also wrote an epistle, okay? That's not the apostle's sisters. 1 John chapter 5. And look at verse 13. I want you to look at this with me. Same author of the gospel of John. So we're talking about effective, powerful Prayer. God wants every believer to have an effective, powerful prayer life. Yes, it's good to have other people praying for you. You know, even the Apostle Paul said, pray for me. Right? But we don't rely completely and utterly on the prayers of someone else without having our own prayer life. Amen? It's an exciting thing. It really is. But in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13... John, the apostle, says this, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know, underline that word, may know, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So there's a surety there, isn't there? Now look at verse 14. And this is the confidence. That's very assuring too, right? This is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. So if you ask anything that lines up with God's will, you have God's ear. Right? 
Have you ever been talking to somebody before and you know they're not listening to me? I'm saying things, I'm saying words, but they're not listening to a word I'm saying. I know no one's ever experienced that before, right? You talk to your kids and the kids, are they really listening to me? <laughs> it works both ways. Honey, what did I just say? Uh, you heard, but you didn't hear, right? Well, God's, when God hears His Word, and I'm going to make this as simple as I possibly can. This is the confidence, so that's assurance, right? That we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And then 15, finally, it says, And we know that if He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of Him. Oh, can I have an Amen. So, where religion comes in with this a lot of times, said, yes, Lord, whatever your will is, whatever your will is, if it's for your will for me to be healed, for example, then I'll be healed. That's not what he's talking about here. Um, if we ask anything according to his will, another way of saying that is like is this. God's will is his word. Always. A hundred percent of the time. If we know what God's will is, we know that when we ask the petition, that's prayer, he heard us, which guarantees our answer. It guarantees our answer. If God heard me, it's done. Hallelujah. Yet how many times have we prayed, you know, even praying the scripture, you know, and we're like, well, Lord, I just hope you heard me. You may not say that, but you're like, didn't feel any goosebump, but I sure hope you heard me. <laughs> If we say anything according to His will, which is His word, He hears us. And we know that we have the petitions that we desire of Him. So to have an effective prayer life, we have to be familiar with the Scriptures. And this is where we're going to get into this, to know how to pray the word. Praying the word. Now go to Isaiah real quick here. Uh, Chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55, back in the Old Testament. there's times in my life I've asked you know my wife or my kids to do something could you do this for me could you get this for me you know and and they did it but there was no special feeling attached to that it was just could you do this for me you know what I'm saying and uh, but there was no special feeling attached to that why do why do people think that every time you ask God for something you have to have a special tingle in your spine in order for God to hear you are you with me? Yeah. In the natural, that doesn't happen. But when it comes to the Lord, you, you, can, you can be there, feel as dry as, as a doorknob, and just sit there and ask God's will and not feel anything and get supernatural results. Yeah. Amen. Now, in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10, it says, For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven... And returns not thither, but watereth the earth, maketh it bring forth bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void or empty, 
but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto it is sent. Now in this, this portion of Scripture that we're reading right here, this is a picture of what the Word of God does in our mouth. Okay? So to a Jewish person, let me give you this picture. This is a circle. This is a completed cycle, okay? So in other words, the rain, the snow came down from heaven, right? Watered the earth, the plants, whatever. They produced, you know, and it didn't go back. It produced, right? Now, I heard it said like this. I can't remember which minister said this, but it's the absolute truth. The word of God was spoken initially that it might be written, right? It was spoken. They were inspired. They wrote it down, right? The Word of God was spoken initially that it might be written, but it was written that it might be spoken. So heaven, earth, back to heaven. Heaven came from heaven to the earth. We take what's in the earth and we speak it back to the Father. That completes the cycle. And the Jews understand that, okay? The problem is the word has already been sent into the earth, but God is looking for people that will take his word and send it back to him. Okay? And primarily we're talking about the area of prayer because it will prosper where the thing, where and to, it is sent. God, I wrote down here, that the sound of the spoken word is music to God's ears. The sound of the spoken word is is music to God's ears. When we speak what He's already said, we're sending it back to Him to complete the cycle in order to receive the blessing and the benefits of what we just said. His Word does not return void. So in other words, when you send the Word back to the Father, Father, your Word says this, so I'm just bringing this to you right now, that's not going to come back empty. That's not going to come back with no results. Are you with me now? Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord. Kind of building a foundation here. Go to Isaiah 43. You're right there in Isaiah anyway. Go, to, go back a few chapters to chapter 43. Primarily what I want to build a foundation today, particularly today, is to, to be effective in prayer we need to know how to take the scripture and go before the Lord to petition Him with the Word, His promise already, to complete that cycle, to have confidence that God is going to answer our prayers. Praise the Lord. Okay, so in Isaiah 43, verse 25, it says, I, the Lord says, I even I am He that blotteth out thy transgressions. Notice this, for mine own sake, not just for our sake, but for His sake. And I will not remember thy sins. Amen. <laughs> well, if God doesn't remember your sins, then why should, why should we? That's right? Amen. Oh, pastor, you don't know the things I did before I was saved. My God, I, was bera- I raised hell. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, when you came to Jesus, the blood of Jesus completely wiped that out. Now, you, of course, you'll, you'll have recollection of things. You'll remember certain things that you did. I remember things that I did before I was saved. Okay. But that old man's dead. Amen? He's gone. 
When Paul said, my old man was crucified with Christ, he was talking about his old life. Hallelujah. The old life has been crucified. I am crucified with Christ. Praise the Lord. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me. Praise the Lord. Do you see your, just a little side thought here. Do you see yourself as just a forgiven sinner? Or do you see yourself as the righteousness of God in Christ? Well, I've heard way many, too many people, a lot of Hollywood people, a lot of music you know, people that got saved, they, they'll make this statement. It, it sounds like humility. I'm, I'm just a forgiven sinner. Well, it better be more than that. Amen? If I'm just a forgiven sinner, that means I can go fill it back up again. Right? I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No. I was a sinner, but I've been saved by grace, and now the Bible says I've become the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen? Say, I'm not a sinner. Now, sometimes people, they do that in trepidation. They're like, well, I, I don't know if I can say that because I might sin this afternoon. <laughs> well, that, that's because people are more sin conscious than they are righteous consciousness. <laughs> Paul even said, awake, awake, wake up to righteousness and sin not. First Corinthians. For some don't, don't have the knowledge of God about that. Awake, he didn't just say, now stop sinning out there. I know you're sinning out there. Yeah. I know when you leave here today, you're going to go out and commit some horrific sin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, uh, but you know what? If you know that you're born again and you're righteous by faith, God made you righteous, the sin nature has been destroyed. Right. Now, of course, you have a choice. You could, I could go out today and do some crazy act, some sinful act, but I'm not going to do it. I don't want to do it because God's spirit in me checks me. I'm born again. I'm righteous. Righteous people don't do that. Amen. So righteousness is a safeguard. It keeps you from when sin tries to come and tempt us to say, no, I'm, I'm dead. You know, how many ever been to a funeral before? Okay. You could walk up to that person in the casket and you could say, you're the ugliest thing I've ever seen. And start ridiculing, saying negative things. You know what? You know what their response is going to be? <laughs> Nothing. Just using that as an example. Why? That person's not there. They're dead. Right? They've checked out. Hopefully to heaven. <laughs> Amen? But... When Satan comes and knocks on our door, tries to tempt us with sin, we say, no, I'm dead to sin. Say, I'm dead to sin. That's what Paul said. And alive to righteousness. Praise God forevermore. Thank you, Lord. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgression for mine own sake, and I will not remember thy sins. So if God doesn't remember our sins, if God doesn't remember our sins, then why should we? Of course, you, you remember, you know, you remember things that you did prior to your salvation or whatever, you know. 
Well, the blood of Jesus completely wiped that out. Amen? Now, here's the next verse in verse 26. God says, put me in remembrance. Let us plead together, declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Verse 26, put me in remembrance. Now, wait a minute. We're to tell God, we're to remind him of something? Amen? Do you see that? Verse 26, put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Put me in remembrance. Now, God says we're to put him in remembrance. Now, is that because he forgets? Is it because he's been there so long that he's forgetting? No. Does God forget anything? No. But he says to us, he says, put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. All right? Now, it's more for our sake than it is God's when we put him in remembrance. Okay? Now, let's give you an example here. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. And I want to show you something here. In Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 14. And I, like I said, I want to show you how the most effective way. Jesus said, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Amen. Then you can ask what you will, and it will be granted unto you. And he says, and also this is the confidence we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if he hears us, we have the petitions we desire of him. Praise God. But in Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 14, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest. Who's that? Jesus. Jesus. We have a great high priest, Jesus, that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, or it's the actual Greek word for profession is confession. So we have a high priest, the high priest, Jesus Christ. Now back in the Old Testament, you know, even in Jesus' time prior to his resurrection and so forth, the high priest, God bless you, the high priest would have a limited time in that office and then when they would pass on, Somebody else would take that place from the tribe of, of, of Aaron. Okay? From the Levitical tribe. Okay? But Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, and he has an unchangeable priesthood. So it doesn't need to be replaced. He is the ultimate high priest. So it says, Seeing then that we have a high priest that has passed into the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession or confession. That's the reason that we can hold fast our confession because we have a high priest, Jesus, who's watching over our words to see to it that they come to pass. Glory to God. So Jesus, you know, what's he doing? Well, he is, there's, a, there's a present day ministry of Jesus Christ. He is our intercessor, our advocate, right? He's our great high priest. 
And he's there to see to it that when we hold fast the confession of the word of God, which is our faith, Jesus says, I will bring that to pass on their behalf. Amen? Praise the Lord. That's what Glenn was sharing this morning about, holding on to saying what the Word of God has to say. Praise God. It's not just to make it hard on us, you know, but just, just to know we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens. Let us hold fast our confession without wavering. Praise the Lord. Now, <clears throat> Verse 15, for we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but, when all, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. So Jesus was tempted, right? He was tempted in the flesh. It's not a sin to be tempted, right? If, it, if that were the case, then Jesus would have sinned more than anybody else. He was tempted in all points. Temptation can be a suggestion in your mind, but that doesn't mean you've sinned. Even the most holy people that you can think of are tempted at times to do things or say things or not do things. Temptation is no sign that you've missed the mark. It's just you're somebody in the earth that the devil's trying to attack. Jesus was tempted in every point as we, yet he didn't sin. Okay? Now notice the next verse. Let us, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So he's saying, he's painting this picture here. Jesus, the high priest, when he was on the earth, he was tempted. We know that in, in the four Gospels, he was the Bible says the tempter, Satan, came to tempt him in the wilderness. Remember that? And, uh, of course, he passed the test. Every, one of them, every single one that came at him, every temptation that came at him, there were valid temptations, by the way, uh, he passed the test. He didn't succumb to it. Was he tempted to? Yes. He was tempted in all points. Does Jesus know what it's like to be discouraged? Yes. Does he know what it's like to give up? Yes. More than anybody. Matter of fact, the Bible even tells us, right, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, that uh, he resisted to the point of shedding, as it were, great drops of blood. He striving against sin. That's why he prayed, Lord, if there's any other way that this cup, let it pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And the Father said, nope, this is the only way that the price of sin will be paid for by going to the cross. And boy, did he... He, the Bible says Jesus tasted death for every person so we wouldn't have to. He tasted death for every human being so that we wouldn't have to. Amen? So he knew going into that what he was going to face. The pressure, I can't even imagine the immense pressure his mind and his soul was under at that point. But he was so committed, Lord, I want to do your will and your purpose and your plan. Amen? And so he, he went through with it, thank God. Right? Yeah. So he was, he was tempted in all points like as we, yet without sin. And so he conquered the devil. He conquered that temptation. And that's why 16 was written, Let us therefore 
because of what Jesus did, let's come boldly to the throne of grace. It's not, just a, it's not just a throne. It's a throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Come boldly. Amen? So here's, a, here's an example of what I'm talking about. Taking the Word of God and praying the Word of God. And here's, what, here's, how, here's how I do it. This is what works for me. It'll work for, it's taking the Word of God, you know. And um, so I'll take this Word right here, this Scripture. I'll say, Father, this is exactly how I do it. If you were in my prayer closet, you'd hear me say this. <laughs> but I'm kind of letting you in on it, amen? Father, Your Word says in Hebrews 4.16, Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So I come boldly to you right now, Father, based on your word. You see, let us plead together. Declare thou that you may be justified. And you return the word of God. Amen. So it's my confidence is in the scripture when I'm praying and I see myself going before God's throne of grace. And there every single day. I ask for grace and mercy, the help. And not only do I pray that for myself, I pray that over you all. Amen? But I know, what's the opposite of come boldly? Well, yeah, timidly, backwards, not confident. I remember years ago, there was a, a lady that used to be in our church way back when we started our first church, and she was the most timid, backward person. And uh, she always, you know, because of the way she grew up, she just felt like she was always bugging God. Do you think if I ask the Lord, He'll do this for me? And I mean, year after year after year after year, I'd say, Honey, Come boldly to the throne of grace. You're not going to get anything if you don't ask boldly. Ask boldly. Amen? Yes, yes. Well, do you thank the Lord? No, I said come boldly to the throne of grace. See, a lot of times people, because of their background and maybe the way they were raised, you know, they were beat down. They were beat down. They were abused by their family members. And that's the why that some of them act the way they do. And we need to have eyes of mercy and grace to help people like that who have been through muck and mire and you know, terrible family lives and so forth and so on. There's a reason why that they're the way they are. But the good news is none of us have to stay in that position. I don't care how abused we were growing up. Don't ever let your abusive situation be an excuse to continue on living a weak lifestyle. Okay? All of us have had some unfortunate things happen to us when we were growing up. How many of you know that? Man, we could go on all day here, couldn't we? We could talk about some of the sad stuff we went through. But you know what? We're not, we're, we decided to go on. We decided to let that behind us. I'm not going to let what somebody did to me or didn't do to me affect the way my, my life is right now. Amen. There's no perfect parent, right? There's no perfect family. There's, uh, you know... But it says right here, let us come boldly, boldly. And I would suggest 
this today. Because I felt the Lord challenging me. He said, Keith, if you're going to come before me, then come boldly. Because in other places in Hebrews, we're able to come boldly to the throne of grace because of the blood of Jesus. Amen? Now, way back there in the Old Testament, you know, back in the Exodus, when they were coming out of Egypt, you know, what did God instruct Moses and the Israelites to do? To take a lamb, right? After the, this was the final plague, right? Judgment on, on Egypt, on uh, Pharaoh, you know? And so they were to take a lamb, every man for his own household, and they were to, you know, kill the lamb, a lamb without spot and without blemish, which is a type of Christ. And they were to do two things, roast it and eat it, and then take the blood and put it on the doorpost, put it on the top and on the two sides of the house. And God says, when I pass through this night, when I see the blood, I will pass over. That's where the phrase Passover comes from. Now, when God came to the house, he didn't inspect the people in the house. He inspected the door. He said, is there blood there? They're okay. Amen? And I'll tell you, when we got born again, we became blood washed. You know, I noticed this. The more we sing about the blood and talk about the blood of Jesus, the more anointing builds in the atmosphere because the devil's terrified of that blood. What that blood represents. We're saved by that blood. We're healed by that blood. Praise God. But also, that blood gives us the right and the ability. Now, the high priest, of course, would only go in in the Old Testament for a few hundred years, would make an atonement for the sins of Israel on the Day of Atonement. He would go into the Holy of Holies under a, pre, under a very cautious situation, you know the situation. And, um, and, but they had to be from the tribe, a certain tribe, you know, of Levi, and they had to be uh, called to that office. They had to wear certain garments. It had to be perfect. Because if they went in there haphazardly, they were killed. They fell out. And that's why they put a rope around their ankle, because they had to pull them out. Because who's going to volunteer to go in there and pull them out? Lest the same thing happen, right? Now, Jesus Christ is our high priest. And now, if we were in the Old Testament, now that we're under the New Testament, we could walk right into the Holy of Holies and put our hand on top of the Holy of Holies and nothing would happen. Why? Because we've been recreated. The blood of Jesus has cleansed us. Now, under the Old Testament, they still were in that sinful condition. And that's why they had to be very you know, cautious about what they were doing. Okay, But now, in the New Testament, we can come boldly, boldly to the throne of grace to get help. Help! <laughs> you know what? We're going to get into some of, the, some of these things that we, could, we never even thought about being prayer. But you know, it's interesting, very interesting, that God understands you when you don't even understand you. When you're hurting, but you have no words to say, you're like, I don't even know where to start. You ever been there before? It's like, Lord, where do I begin here, you know? Well, the Bible says that God heard the groanings of the children of Israel in Egypt. It says that twice in the book of Exodus. 
he heard their groanings. But in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was talking about Moses, he said this. He said he went through the whole thing about Moses, you know, and the burning bush and all that stuff. He, you know, right before he was stoned, he was preaching this sermon, right? And he said this regarding that. He added this to it. He said, I've heard the groanings of the children of Israel, and I've sent forth a deliverer, which was Moses, okay? And so there's a groaning that God hears, an aching, like, oh, this just hurts. Are you with me? We'll get into that. But God even hears that. But see, then Moses was their deliverer. He's a type of Christ. He's a type of Christ. And God sent Moses back there. And you know the rest of the story, how he brought the Israelites out. It was a long journey. The whole thing, right? But God chose a man that didn't even believe in himself. Moses doubted himself. He said, I can't even speak. I stutter. You know what I mean? He felt so inadequate. He really did. But yet Moses was probably the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. He was, wasn't he? And he referred, you know, who wrote the, who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament? Moses did. When he was up on that mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, it was more than just the Ten Commandments, I can tell you that. Amen? When God said, I'm going to show you all my back parts, you know, he was actually saying, I'm going to show you everything from creation up till now. Because how else would he have gotten that? He wasn't in the Garden of Eden. Moses wasn't there with Adam and Eve. Right? He wasn't there during the Tower of Babel and all that kind of stuff. But he, he got supernatural downloads when he was up on that Mount Sinai, praise the Lord, right? And God gave that. But God used a man that, that had no confidence in himself. That gives me hope. How about you? <laughs> praise the Lord. And the Lord said, what's that you have in your hand? Well, it's a stick. He goes, I'll use that. And he did. He used that stick to divide the Red Sea. He used that stick to open up, a split a rock down the middle. Gushing waters came out. But it was God that did it. God did it. But he used Moses. He used his stick. Praise the Lord. But in this covenant we're living in right now, is we are, we are to come before God's throne with boldness. Praise the Lord. And I want to just encourage you, all of you, to do that. You know? Say, well, I just don't feel very bold. Well, act like you would if you had it. Do it by faith. <laughs> Boldness. Boldness. It's also scriptural to pray for that. New Testament said, Paul says, pray for me, that I might open my mouth and speak boldly in the name of Jesus, that signs and wonders may be wrought by the name of your holy child Jesus. Right? Paul said, pray for me. So it's scriptural to pray for boldness. Well, he says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Why is that so important? Because I firmly believe. So we're talking about prayer, powerful prayer. And so for, for prayers to be powerful, we have to be bold with the scriptures. Right? Let us plead together, he says. Bring, put him in remembrance. What? Taking a word, like this scripture right here. 
bringing it before the Lord. It's already spoken, so it's in the earth, and we take it and take it right back to the Father. I say, Father, I thank you right now in the name of Jesus. You said for me to come boldly to your throne. I do right now in Jesus' name. Regardless of how I feel, I come boldly to your throne to obtain what I need today. Praise the Lord. And the Lord loves that. I just sense the heart of God saying, I love it when my children are confident and bold when they come before me. And we're not talking about arrogance. That's pride. We're talking about just holy boldness. I know who I am. I know who redeemed me. I know whose blood redeemed me. And I'm not a second-rate person. Amen? Hallelujah. Yeah, okay, I'll say that, Lord. There are no, God says this, there are no rejects in my camp. There are none. There are no failures in his camp or his family. He doesn't see you like that. He doesn't look at you as a failure. Have you failed? Well, we all have at some point, but that doesn't make you a failure. Right? There are no failures in God's family. That's why he wants us to come boldly before him because of his great love for us. I'm so thankful for that. Whew. Makes me want to do a sila. Right? Pause and think. There's no failures in God's family. There's no failures here. You're not a failure. Well, Pastor, I gave up. I failed. No, 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 no. God, that's not who you are, though. It's astounded it me one time when I was reading John chapter 1. When Jesus first, when Peter first met Jesus, Andrew, his brother, was instrumental in bringing him to Jesus, right? It was Andrew who was, you know, in contact with the Lord. We found the Messiah. You know, he went and told his brother Peter. He said, come on, I'll, I need to introduce him to you. Okay? One of the first things that Jesus said to Peter, he said, you are Simon, or Reed, but you shall become Peter, Petros, rock. How would you like the Lord to say that to you? You met him the very first time. He says, you know, you're a reed blown with the wind, but you shall be called Peter, rock. Change his name. Why does he do that? Change his image. Amen? And sure, he needed that later on, didn't he? Because when he denied the Lord three times, you know, technically speaking, he should have never got up and preached again. <laughs> should have went to preacher's rehab or something. You know, I denied the Lord, not once, not twice, but three times. You know? But when, when Peter got up on the day of Pentecost, he didn't talk about his failure. He didn't talk about, you know, how, how wretched he was. He denied the Lord, you know, three times and the rooster crowed. You know what I'm saying? He didn't talk at all about that. It was like he forgot about it. Why? Because the blood of Jesus was so powerful that it wiped out his remembrance of that. And he was able to preach boldly on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people came to the Lord because of his boldness. Amen? The blood of Jesus Christ has wiped out every sin you've ever committed annihilated it 
crucified it. In order to give you the confidence and the boldness to pray. So if we're going to pray, let's pray with boldness. Not like, Lord, I know you're busy up there. You're running the nations. You know, I don't, you know people pray wimpy prayers. No, we're delivered from wimpy prayers. Hallelujah. God says, pray boldly. Amen. You might shock yourself when you pray boldly. Now, the only reason we can pray with boldness is because we know. I know some things. You know some things. We know that we've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. This is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And we know that if He heareth us, we have the petitions we desire of Him. We know that we're born again. Do you know that you're saved? How many of you know that you're saved? You know it 100%. That's awesome. Well, the same thing would apply in other areas of our lives. Boldness. 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 Hallelujah. The early church was known for its boldness, its stance, its confidence. And they said, they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They're acting just like Jesus. Well, praise the Lord for that. I want to, who's my idol? Jesus. My idol isn't playing on the field tonight. Never has, never will. I only have one idol, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And I'm not ashamed of it, amen? Praise God. One more scripture, we'll, we'll, we'll conclude here. James chapter 1, real quick here. James chapter 1. Now this is an example, I wanted to use this in Hebrews chapter 4, that you can take the Word of God to pray effectively. We have to pray what the Word of God says. Okay? Now in my own life, I know me better than anybody else, this has transformed my prayer life to the point where I can just whisper a prayer to the Lord because if I'm around other people and stuff like that, you know, um, you can, you, to be bold doesn't just mean you're loud. It just means having confidence. Father, thank you. Amen. I could be on the job, driving down the road, people in the back. Father, I just thank you right now. I thank you right now. I come boldly to your throne right now. And I'm there. I'm right there. And the more, here's the thing. The more you practice doing that, the more professional you become at doing it. You really do. Practice makes perfect. <laughs> right? Are you all with me now? Is this helping anybody? Come boldly. Come boldly. Why? Because of the blood. The blood of Jesus. And this is what I want to close with here today because we're out of time. But in James chapter 1 verse 5, Scripture says here, now James, of course, is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. He grew up in the same household as Jesus. Joseph was his father. Mary was his mother. Because Jesus had other brothers and sisters. He was the firstborn, of course, you know. But after Jesus was born by the Holy Spirit, Joseph and Mary came together several times and they had kids. So Jesus had brothers and sisters. One of them was James. The scripture is very clear about that. Amen. So James grew up in a household. Jesus, the oldest brother. And you, you can't help but learn. Amen. Now I see over here two brothers here, Levi and Liam. Okay. 
they know each other pretty well because they grew up in the same household. Is that right? They know each other's likes and dislikes. For goodness sake, they even had the same birthday. Amen? Not the same year, but the same birthday. Isn't that something? It's, it's coming up soon, isn't it? Next week or something? Yeah, yeah. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. That's, that's fantastic. And, uh, but, you know, because they, they grew up in the same household, they know each other pretty well. They know each other's likes and dislikes. Okay? Well, it was no different than James growing up in the household of Jesus. He watched Jesus function. He watched Jesus operate. He watched what he said. He watched what he did. And it's interesting, very interesting, that James's epistle, James, five chapters, he says more about the power of the tongue than anybody else in the New Testament. Where'd that come from? By watching Jesus. He watched how Jesus would control his tongue and how things would happen. Okay? And, and James says something here. In fact, James chapter 1 it's talking about being under test and temptations and trials, you know, various temptations and trials. He talks about counting it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations and so forth. What do you do when you're tempted? What do you do when, you're, when the pressure is on? He says right here in verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, and he's talking about people under a test, under a trial, that's where we need wisdom, right? I do. <laughs> if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of who? God. So it's scriptural, isn't it? To ask for wisdom. Let him ask God who gives to all men liberally. Now that's not talking about the politic politics there. <laughs> and upbraideth not, and it shall be given unto him. Asking for wisdom. Verse 6. But let him ask in faith. Is it possible to ask in faith? Yes. Sure. It's also possible to ask, but not in faith. It says, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. He that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Okay? Now, Josh, could you bring that up in the NLT for a second here? Starting with verse 5. It says, If any of you need wisdom, ask our generous God. Isn't that wonderful? And He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask Him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with a divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Okay? So, here's a scripture right here. I just wanted to give you Hebrews 4 and then James chapter 1. This is how I pray. Father, you said I do this every single day. See, I don't just wait for a problem to show up. And then, Lord God, I need some wisdom. I need some help right now. Well, the minute I wake up in the morning, I need help. <laughs> yeah. Amen? Because my dependence is not on me. It's not on my wisdom. I am depending on you, Lord. And that's the best place, the most safest place you can possibly be, is leaning and relying upon the Lord instead of yourself. 
I'm not that smart. But I got a God, and you have a God that is very smart and very intelligent. He knows everything about everything. He knows more about you than you know about you. Isn't that one? It's comforting to know that. God, make, God knows everything you've been through. He's got the very hairs on your head number, the Bible says. Amen? Now, as much as I love my daughter and my son, I've never taken the time to count the hairs on their head. Nor will I. Amen? Now, you talk about a furry creature, our dog. I mean, you could make coats out of, for every person in this room out of that dog's hair. I'm telling you. <laughs> Amen? But we still love her. Hallelujah. She's a furry creature, though, you know? And, uh, but the Bible says God has the very hairs on your head numbered. He knows, the Bible says, that when a sparrow falls to the ground. Now, we wouldn't think that's that important, really, would we? What it tells me is this. God is so intimate. His knowledge of us. He knows how many cells are in our body. How many hairs on our head? If he takes the time to know those types of details, my God, what kind of a God do we have? I have no idea how many hairs are on my head. Amen? Hopefully more today than yesterday. Amen? <laughs> it's so funny, we went to my... My parents, I think their 50th wedding anniversary, you know, and uh, was it my brother that said that? No. Oh, it was my cousin. Well, my, my, dad's, my dad's brother, you know, um, he's, he was, he's in heaven now, but he was like six foot seven, you know, but, but he, lost, he lost all of his hair. I mean, it was like gone. Well, his kids, same thing. They lost all their hair, gone. You know what I'm saying? And so we had, people were saying stuff about my parents on their 50th, you know, and my one cousin got up, he goes, he goes, you guys didn't inherit the ball gene. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was just, you had to be there to hear it, you know, talking about our family, you know. And, um, but anyway, the fact of the matter is, wh what kind of a father do we have that's intimate enough to know the very hairs on our head? Do you think he knows when you come to him with a problem that he, do you have to, does you have to tell him everything for him to know about it? He has, the Bible says he knows what we have need of before we even ask him. Sometimes I'll go, Father, that situation's a mess right now. I don't want to go into detail, but I need your help right now. I need your help right now. And guess what? He comes running to the rescue to help his kids. You see, the, the Lord is quick. The Lord is quick to run to your refuge. He's quick. He doesn't delay. He's quick to want to help you in time of need. He wants to help you with your children. He wants to help you with your grandchildren. He wants to help you in your physical body. He doesn't want you just relying on yourself. Of course, we have a part, you know, but... Let's not forget, we have a God that cares for us. He loves us. He loves us so much. No matter how beat down we've been through the, the, the years and what happened, I mean, He still cares for us. And He wants us to come before Him. We don't, he don't want us backing into a corner, so to speak, and 
hiding from God, you know, feeling like all abused and oppressed and everything. No, he wants us to come before him. Amen? When my back has been up against the wall with things in my life through the years, when I didn't know which way to turn, where to go, when doctors said there's no cure for this or this or that, you know, I, I'm so thankful that I have a father that I can go to. A God that cares for me. Amen? And I didn't grow up that way. I can tell you that right now. I had, man, I had to learn. I'm still learning. I had to school myself in the, in the word and say, no, my father, no matter how I feel right now, God cares for me. Because emotions can be very strong. How many of you know that? Hormones can be very strong. <laughs> emotions can be very strong and very persuasive. You know, when you lose sleep and you have to go about your business and you feel cranky, you know, emotions can be really strong. They can be very strong. But God's bigger than all that. And He's not tough on you. He's not hard on you. He's not a hard taskmaster. Okay? He loves you. He cares for you. He's gentle. He's meek. He's lowly. That's what Jesus said about Himself. That's why he said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, burdened down. Jesus said, bring it to me. Come to me. Don't hesitate. Come to me. I have the answers. So that scripture right there in James, he said, if we lack wisdom, I don't wait. I'll tell you, not anymore. I don't wait till I get in a fix where I need God to help me. I said, Father, when I wake up in the morning, I don't know what I'm going to face exactly, but I ask you for Godly wisdom. And Lord, by the way, I pray that for my family. I pray that for my family of God, all of you here, all of that are listening on the telephone. Amen. Father, give wisdom to us today, godly wisdom. The Bible says the wisdom that comes from above is pure and peaceable. It's not earthly, sensual, and devilish. That's earthly wisdom. But God's wisdom. Amen. A number of years ago, I remember, um, I met, uh, we, had moved, we had moved into this place, you know, it was a rental house years and years ago. And, uh, and the family, there's a family there, obviously, before us, and they were moving out, you know. <clears throat> and so we met them, and the family had like three or four boys in the family, you know. And we had just briefly met them, you know. And, uh, and a, a few months later, I'm up at the, uh, the gym where I used to work out. It's no longer there now, you know. So I have to go somewhere else. But uh, anyway, I ran into one of the sons that were part of that family that, that we just moved into their house and so forth, you know. But I completely forget. You ever forget people's names? You meet them and two minutes later you forget their name. And... Uh, And so I, I saw this, this young man, you know, he's probably, uh, probably in his mid-20s, something like that. I completely forgot his name, but he remembered me, and he was talking to me, you know, and so forth. And uh, this is weeks after I just initially met him. So as I'm talking to him, and I, for me it's important to know someone's name. It helps when people know your name, doesn't it? That blesses you too. That, those, those are little things, but they're big things when you try to remember someone's name. Someone said, put an association like, like you would put a coat on a rack on the wall. 
put someone's name to an association so that you remember that. Bill Warren said that. Amen? And he said that can help you remember certain things that you normally would forget. Well, in this situation, I completely forgot the young man's name. Now, people think that's not really that important. But I'm talking to him, carrying on a conversation between sets on the weights, you know. And I'm talking to him. And within myself, I said, Lord, what is his name? Give me wisdom. I'm asking for wisdom. I'm talking to him, but I'm talking to God at the same time. Okay? Now, people think that's not that important. Well, to me it was. I wanted to know his name. You know, as I'm going on for about a minute with him conversing, talking, you know, all of a sudden floating some, somewhere was in my spirit, floating in me came up the thought, his name is Nathan. Okay? And uh, I thought, yeah, that's it. That's it. And so I started calling him Nathan, you know. He didn't say that's the wrong name. That was his name, right? Well, from the natural, I forgot forgot his name. Even the Bible says God knows you by name. He knows your name. Remember in the, old, the New Testament, the book of Acts? He knew the guy's street, straight street, knew where he lived, address. Amen? Well, the Lord knows all that stuff, Right? I'm convinced today that there are, there are depths to God's wisdom that can be tapped into if we just ask Him. Father, give me wisdom. I don't know what to do right now, but I feel baffled, Lord, about that situation. But you have, an, you have a wisdom key right now. I need wisdom for that situation, especially when it comes to dealing with difficult people. Has anybody here ever had to deal with difficult people before? No one here. <laughs> And the Lord heard their groanings. <laughs> I heard some groans. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> well, of course, we all, we've all had that. We've all had, you know, situations, especially when it comes to family. You know what I mean? The guy down the street, you could just ignore him, forget about it. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, you can't do that with family members, you know. So you need wisdom, you know. But God is not void of wisdom. He's eager. And I just want to conclude with this like the icing on the cake today. God is eager to give us wisdom. Just ask Him. Let Him ask. In faith. Don't waver. Don't go back and forth. Oh, I don't know what to do after I just said, I don't know what to do. That's wavering back and forth. When you ask God, you should say, Lord, I thank you. Now, you may not know right then and there, but you say, Lord, I thank you that I have wisdom about this situation. And your mind will catch up to it. The Spirit of God in you will come up inside of you. And all of a sudden, you'll just know what to do. 